So there's this meta conversation about your being in the world and our ability to stop and examine and also give feedback. Like that's a great way to be in the world. Hey, that people don't like you when you are that way in the world, right? And what are some other strategies for how we can do that? And so the amount of time I think college students spend thinking about and getting responses and reviews to their behavior. And like you said, people investing in you saying, what are other ways that you can do this? How are you gonna learn and grow? Hello, everybody. You have joined us for episode 11 of Cap and Gown. I'm Rachel Phillips Buck, VP for Student Success at Ferris Resources. I have a lot of guests today. Right now, I'm joined by Matt Boisvert, our president. Hey, Matt. Hi, Rachel. Super excited to have our special guests, or extra, you're special, but this is our extra special guest who oh, yeah. I will introduce you to in just a moment. How's the day going for you, Matt? You know, um, it's interesting because it's been a it's been a weird week for me. Yeah. You know, I I a couple of weird things have happened. Uh but today I knew good things were coming because of uh you know, I was I, I think I even texted you and said I I hope some good mojo is coming this way because you know, I burned my hand and then I have a eye issue, which is why I'm wearing glasses today and Yeah. Good things have happened today. Great right. things happened for you today. I'm going to tell everybody what great thing happened for me today, but I'm a little hesitant because, you know, last week we unveiled our theme of curiosity and I gave everybody a sneak peek inside my head when I told you what kinds of things I Google. Right. It was yeah. a little much. It was, that was kind of a wild ride. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to tell you something else today that you're going to be like, what is it like to live in Rachel's brain? I'm going to give you just a little picture of it. Okay. All right. It's yeah. Embarrassing. But for the last two years, I've had a strange brain tick where every time I see a primary car, like primary colored car, I start looking for are there other colors of the rainbow around it? And I'm telling you, it started off kind of fun, like, oh, red, do I see? Yeah, there's blue. There's always blue. Right. But it has evolved into a little bit of an obsession, so much so that everybody who's close to me knows when we're driving on the road, they're like, my daughter will be like, mom, there's red, there's green. I just have wanted to see all the colors of the rainbow. All in one view. One view. And you actually, you actually exported this tick to Norway, didn't you? I did. I told my nephew about it. Now he's got it too. And the, the hard ones are purple and orange. Those, as you can imagine, those are the hardest ones to find. But I got very encouraged last week because in the parking lot, we're on the seventh floor, in the parking lot outside of our office, we have a parking lot where a red, yellow, blue, green, and orange, did I get them all? I'm missing one. Yeah. They all live. Like the people who work in that building, those cars are there. So I said to you yesterday, Matt, one of these days, a purple car is going to drive into this parking lot and every and I'm going to get my wish, my two year old wish. And it happened today. I was working at my office. Yeah. I saw this purple car coming down the road and I was like, it can't be. And then it turned into the parking lot and I must have taken 65 pictures of it because I was so excited and happy. It's it's a great day. And. And it was a fancy purple car at yeah, that. Yeah, it had red, you know, red rims. It was fancy really awesome. sport. I mean, Listen, Matt, I, 
I want, like, I know that that sounds crazy, but I'm really hoping this is like when you have a song stuck in your head and you finally hear it and then you can be released because yeah. it's kind of not fun anymore. It's kind of like a struggle for me. Anyway, that's one really exciting thing that happened. But the other thing that happens more exciting, which is that we have a new client as of today. Do you want to tell everyone who it is? Yeah, we're super excited to add Indiana Wesleyan to our list of schools we serve. So that's yeah, we've been in relationship with them for a really long time. Um, really enjoy their president. I love their career and calling uh, work that they've done. We have done ACSD on their campus. So we're really excited to be able to serve them. So it's it has been a really good day. Been a great day. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Okay. Um, I want to do State of the Union, but I'm going to continue in the same vein of curiosity. I want to tell you three more of my Google searches this week. The first one is the best substitute for teriyaki sauce. The answer is ponzu sauce. Okay, uh, but wait a minute. Is ponzu sauce really something you might have in your fridge? No. If you're out yeah. of teriyaki, you're ponzu. Yeah, what do you do? I don't know. Okay, uh, what did I do? I, I use soy sauce, so I don't think Yeah, I would have gone with soy, but... But I mean, really, I would have gone with soy and then I i don't like know, yeah. put a little sweet in there. But wasn't that the whole point is like you were like, hey, I don't have teriyaki. What's in my fridge that I could throw in there? Yeah. No. Not okay. That didn't help. Where, where does the phrase in the weeds come from? Which if you guys know, please tell me because I can't find a definitive answer. There's a couple of different suggestions. One is about bootleggers. One is about golf. One is about hiding. I don't really know. So I don't, that was not a, a maybe search that came to any fruition. Maybe your, your super special guest today will, will oh, know. I bet just, Michael would know that. Maybe yeah. can just tell us. Okay. And then lastly, where to eat in DC? Because I am going to DC at the end of this week for ACCU. So if you are going to be there, come and find me. If you have any recommendations for where I should go to eat while I'm there, please let me know. Okay, it is time for State of the Union. All right, I know everyone has been waiting with bated breath to hear what's happening with FAFSA. Um, <laughs> yeah, is, it, is there an update on, on it? Yeah, remember I told you they were doing it wrong? They're going to fix it. That's the update. So oh, they're going to do some different inflation calculations, which, gonna, which is going to mean that there's going to be $1.8 billion more money for students to claim. So that's awesome. Wow. Um, but also now we're having a government watchdog, um, sorry, the U.S. Department of Education should be under investigation for the way that they've rolled out FAFSA. That's what a bunch of lawmakers are saying. So now we need to have yep. a probe into the FAFSA rollout. Didn't you say there's like two dozen lawmakers yeah. who are mm -hmm. wanting to understand what happened here? What it's happened? a big deal. It's like, hey, surely people in, in the Department of Education understand how critical this is, right? I don't know. It's The timing of this is, it, yeah, okay. I'd like to know what they find out. Me too. Uh, and when that happens, I'll tell you. <laughs> okay. Another really interesting article called Five Student Ideas for Preparing for Work. So the theme, Matt, today in State of the Union is this wrestle between 
college as work preparation, college and college as like this humanities holistic piece, which I don't think is a new discussion to have, but a lot of the articles in, in the news these days are kind of in that philosophical wrestle about what should be done. I really love this article. Talks about the founders of a Oregon Bend company called Snowplanks who create sustainable snowboards. They built this company 10 years ago. They started a relationship with the Oregon State University at Cascades where they were coming and lecturing and they were getting connected with students. And they decided, the co-founders decided to donate the entire business to OSU Cascades. So what that means then is still students are going to be running it from here on out in terms of product design, marketing, management. It's a way for these students to get this experiential learning, um, run a real for profit, right? This is not a like a simulation. This right. is like, no, you're going to get academic credit. We're going to pay you. And the the goal is to keep this company thriving and running and growing, which I love. I think is such a great idea. It's such a great idea. Yeah. Really, I I think what's fun about that is um, the you can really you can connect your alumni with with yeah. this. There's so many different ways. Of course, you know I used to teach in a college of business, and just thinking about all the different functions within the college of business. But as we know, there's a lot of other majors who can be really valuable in helping us yeah. so sure so that's it's, really it's exciting. related to what students are saying so the rest of this article is talking about you know they have the what is the um survey that i can't stand student, student voice. voice survey i just they all the write-ups are always confusing i don't understand how what i don't understand it however the summary of a, a recent student voice article is that students are like, we want internships, we want experiential learning, we want professional connections, we want smaller career fairs, we don't want to go to a gigantic one, we want specialized ones, and we want to have life classes on life skills, which is hilarious to me, Matt, because, you know, our families were having dinner the other day, and I was talking to your daughter, who's 12, and I was like, she said to me, do they ever teach you like real, like adult things? And I was like, what adult things are you talking about? She's like, taxes. Does anybody talk about taxes at any point? They teach you about that. And I was like, yes. She's really worried about taxes. We'll teach know. you about taxes. So I think there's this, this like thread of, we want to know how to do real life. Right. So it's a good yeah. article. Um, conversely, well, I guess it doesn't have to be conversely. There's an article um, out of Inside Higher Ed about a small liberal arts college in Pennsylvania, Lycoming College, who's decided to kind of double down on their humanities. Um, they've established an annual undergraduate humanities research conference. They have opened an on-campus research center. They have launched a journal to publish research students, uh, the research that students present at the conference. So they are trying to find ways for these humanities students to have some of this experiential learning. And yeah. also they're saying like they just keep getting students and parents saying, how is this going to help me get a job? So things like internships, course assignments, collaborations with faculty members on research, digitizing archival material, uh, conducting oral history interviews creating exhibits, producing podcasts, right? Those are all of those kind of on the hand, uh, on, on, what is it? On hands job. On, what is that saying? Hands on. Hands, hands on. on. <laughs> hands on learning experience that students are saying they really need. 
and yeah. they're hoping that this is going to help them kind of shy away, not shy away, but confront the idea that humanities is just a scholar's model and move more towards this idea that there is some practical application that's coming out of humanities. They just have got to do a better job of articulating that job piece out of the and, humanities. Uh, again, I'm, you know I get pretty fired up about this, but again, your school has alumni, graduates from humanities, who are all over the world doing all kinds of things. I, um, I once met a, a graduate from my alma mater when I was working in the Career Center. His, his undergrad was in psychology and he was, he was doing um, basically behavioral interventions for executives. And, oh. and one of the huge ones, so he was in Houston, he worked for oil and gas company, but he went to like tell this project manager of this huge pipeline deal who had had a lot of success in his life. This guy who, who was an undergrad psychology graduate went to tell, to tell him why he wasn't so good. And just hearing that experience was fascinating. Well, for every program, there is an alum out there doing something remarkable, many graduates. Bring them back and let them talk about their path and how they found what, what they're doing now. And it yeah. would be really, really neat. Yeah, for sure. Any any of our schools could do that. Right. And and that's what students are saying they want, right? Like yeah. one of the professional connections in the classroom, yeah. um, which we talked about last year or last year, last week with entrepreneurship, right? How let me come right. and talk about the journey of that. All right, Matt, this is a very complicated article. I'm going to leave it up for just a minute um, so that you guys can, this would be one that I would, that is worth the read. There's a lot going on in it. It's very technical. I'm not going to go through all the ins and outs of it, but this is about a new Affordability Accountability Act uh, for higher education. <clears throat> so there's a bill that is called the College Cost Reduction Act um, coming it's moving through the, the um, House. They don't think it's going to pass the Senate, but I am highlighting it as a place where, you know, when we were talking about curiosity last week and we were just like, okay, what if we were just going to do things differently? What are some ideas that could bubble to the top as we're thinking about making higher education more affordable, help making sure students can get jobs after they have their degree? So let me tell you about this bill. Um, they're basically saying we want to have carrots and we want to have sticks when it comes to this bill. We want, first of all, for them to be for there to be some accountability to colleges when students default on their loans. So that's the first piece, which I'll unpack in just a little bit. But also they want to reward colleges when um, students are getting jobs, when they're getting paid well. Right. Those are kind of those two components of it. And there's a lot of other stuff that people want to put in it. There's a wrestle about, we don't just want to make college job training. We also want to have this other holistic piece. And so there's going to be some wrestle there. They think what's going to happen with this bill is it's probably going to get broken into smaller ones because those will be easier to, to pass because it's gigantic. It's a 224-page bill. Yeah. It's in response to some updating, um, like people are like, we need to update the Higher Education Act of 1965. We haven't touched it in a while and it probably is time. Some things have changed. Right. 
So the key provisions in the bill are things like standardizing financial aid offer letters, which I don't know who could be unhappy about that. That's a great idea. Universal net price calculator to the college scorecard, student level data system, um, eliminating uh, interest for future and current borrowers. So lots of different things in there. Um, one thing that I think is really interesting, so they're trying to incentivize institutions to lower costs. And so the carrot would be a new performance-based grant, pro grant program where institutions that enroll uh, graduate and graduate low-income students that have strong earnings outcomes and low tuition would be eligible for grants, which is specific funding that then they could pour back into the university, which I think is really interesting. The grant program is called Promise. And you basically have two things. You have what you're rewarded for, whether you have these good outcomes. And they, in this article, talk about like, your students have to make this amount of money with an undergraduate degree, this amount of money with a graduate degree. So it's very, very um, quantitative in terms of how they're gonna measure that. And then when your students um, don't pay their bill, the school would have to pay money into the Promise grant and then they would take that money and then redistribute it to schools that are doing a really good job with first generation low income students. So I think it's pretty interesting. I don't, I don't know. I don't, think <laughs> I don't think anybody knows what's going to happen with that. Oh yeah. Well, the, the bottom line for me is as we talked about last week and how I, I think higher ed is in this really interesting new position, right? Yeah. And so part of that, so everyone's talking about tuition and debt and, and then jobs and outcomes. So a lot of this is to address those things. Um, what I love about this process is, can we start thinking upstream? Right. How, like, so one, one key thing is, you know, this, we can't just continue to forgive student debt. And so say, and say we're done when the next year student debt starts to accumulate and accumulate 20 years from now, they decide to, to do a Jubilee again. Instead, can we fix the problem? Yeah. Like, can we, can we address that? So I like this. I really like the incentivizing schools to know who their students are, to know which students are least likely to be successful at their institution. Yeah. Um, and then yeah. to be incentivized to do something about that. I was just going to say that one thing that's in this bill, which could we break this apart and just make it its own thing? Because again, I don't know who's going to be unhappy about this, is colleges and universities have to tell students up front how much their program cost and that that amount won't change over the four years of their program. So it's basically like when you come in, we're going to tell you this is how much you have to. I mean, you know, that process of being like, well, how much is it going to cost next year? And they're like, we don't know. Right. So that's a really okay. difficult like that sh we should work that out we should get that figured out anyway read the read the article keep an eye on that bill i think it's going to be really interesting um there's a very misleading article that <laughs> talks about fall 2023 enrollment counts the two things i'm going to tell you are first of all enrollment counts are up 1.1 percent which is still bad news because they're down like five percent from 2000 or 2019 so that's not super exciting but for the first time they looked at colleges that are actually preparing community colleges that are focused most, mostly on vocational training. And for those community colleges uh, in 2023, they had an enrollment increase of 16%. So 
So again, to this national conversation of jobs versus higher education, there's some evidence that there's at least a group of people are like, I don't know why I would go take on all that debt when I could go to a vacational school. Um, okay, two more for you. Western Oklahoma University has adopted a new grading system where they're not giving D's and F's. Their goal, what? Western Oregon. What did I say? Oklahoma? Yeah. Okay. Western sorry. Oregon. Western, Western Oregon University. No D's and F's. Instead, they're doing no credit, which doesn't affect your GPA. You can just retake it as many times as you need to in order to get the grade that you need. Um, I think this one, too, is worth a read because there's a lot of conversation in it around grade inflation, around grit, around figuring out how to help students be successful. Um, there's a statistic in here that says university data showed that over 65% of freshmen who had stopped out in the past five years had earned an F in their first quarter. So these sort of early signals that they're not going to be successful has a psychological impact on them. The balance of creating success measures and also making sure that we're not inflating grades and, and, that, and that our degrees mean some sort of academic quality, right? So I think that one's worth uh, reading. And then my last one I have for you actually has two of the schools that we have the privilege to share or to serve. This is college classes teach better living for students, not taxes. Um, <laughs> at Hollins University, where they do um, their, what's it called, Matt? Their walk? Tinker Day. Tinker Day, where they do Tinker Day during January 20. If you can look that up if you don't know about it. It's awesome. Um, during January 2023, Holland students could take a three week course on resiliency and healing from trauma. They learned real life skills, including yoga, how to partake in forest bathing, which is pretty amazing. Um, nature walks, those sorts of things. University of Maryland launched a seven week course on emotional regulation skills, which is awesome. Uh, Western New England trained 16 faculty members, staff, and administrators to serve as mental health first aid instructors with the goal of training one-third of the campus community about how to recover. And then lastly, I'm super excited. We've served Centenary University for many, many years. They have yeah. just created a, um, they have their first cohort in this uh, online graduate degree, 90 students. The degree is a master's degree in happiness studies. Um, and it's created to help you apply the science of happiness and increase well-being and flourishing in yourself and your community. And the majority of people who have enrolled in it are people who are like kind of in HR, who are thinking about employee retention and productivity, which, you know, we've talked a lot about, like, there's just ways to make your employees happier that don't cost a lot of money. So good job, Centenary. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah, I just took a whole trip on, uh, maybe my curiosity has been triggered on this one, just all the different places in our society who could benefit from someone who has earned a master's in, it, it's in a happy, Happiness studies. Let's see. Happiness studies. Happiness studies is what it's called. So yeah. All right. Well, that is the state of the union. So Matt, that means I am going to dismiss you. And All right. I'm, I'm going. Okay. Bye. Thanks for coming. <laughs> I just want to say thanks. Thanks for having me. Bye. Um, and I'm going to invite my next special guest, Michael Burns. Hey, Michael. Hello. 
Um, so I'm going to say I have been doing a lot of research about you. So I'm going to say a lot of things about you through the course of our conversation. So don't you, you might think that I'm a little bit stalkerish, but you know, it's part of my job. Here we so go. Do this. So first of all, will you tell us your role in your school before we dive into some other strange things about you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm the Dean of Students at the University of Mary Harden, Mary Harden Baylor in Belton, Texas. It's a great place, great school. Love that campus here. is lovely. It yeah. is it is such a pretty pretty campus, and that is um, not just because I'm in West Texas where it's not very pretty. Uh, it really mm. is a pretty campus with lots it of. It is. Trees. I agree. I agree. Very pretty. So I don't know if you heard that we have unveiled our our uh, theme for 2024. It's curiosity. So mm. we're doing a couple of books around that. But that means that I have a couple of curiosity. I, I'm curious about a couple of things for you. Okay, can I, you, before you do that, oh. you got to share your Google, like the things you Google. Yeah. I have my, my, the last, I looked up the last three things that okay. I Google. Okay. Tell me. So, bomb threat uh, at school. This is the gamut of my life. Oh my God. Too, so. <laughs> and it's Texas. It's, you have to look it up. Yeah. Uh, how, to, how to reset your Sonic drive in password. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, we wanted some drinks, uh, so I need to figure that out. And uh, how to snake your laundry drain uh, oh. because my laundry drain overflowed into our into our laundry. So you know yeah, that's, that's so instructive because I have conversations. I'm sure you do all the time too with younger people who are like, "How do you learn to be an adult?" Those are such good examples of like we don't know how to be adults. Like this stuff comes no. over. Like how do we do this thing right? And, and working at colleges and housing and every, I have great tools that lots of people, I mean, there's a guy who gave me a really cool snake. I don't know how to use it. So I had to look, uh, okay, what do I do with this thing? And You're like, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> That's really helpful. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what to do. Okay. Here are my curiosity questions for you. When you travel, do you put your clothes in a, in the drawers or do you live out of your suitcase? I, I typically drawer it. Yeah. I like really? to un undo it and put it out. Yeah. Okay. That surprises me a little bit. Yeah. I didn't even know that was a possibility until I was talking to someone the other day and I was like, for real people use drawers and they're like, yeah, all the time. Okay. Yeah. I all love right. it. What is your favorite place you have traveled? Um, I have been, I really like Thailand. I've been a couple times and I really, really enjoy it. It's a great awesome. place. The people, the food. Um, they're beautiful yeah. beaches too, right? Do what? There are beautiful beaches too. There is. I've been to the beautiful beaches, uh, not a ton, but, uh, yeah. went to the, what's called James Bond Island. And it's where they filmed some James Bond stuff, big mountainous kind of formations cool. out in the middle of the water, super cool. Canoe around those. That was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's good. Okay. Two more. What is your Enneagram type? Seven. Uh, and there's, it's probably seven wing seven. I don't know if that I could. You're straight. Seven, possible, seven, but seven. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. I'm a seven too. So this will be a good conversation. There you go. Um, and the At last we'll have fun, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Everyone yeah. else is like, I don't know what they're talking about, but we're yeah. having a great yeah. time. Okay. Um, okay. And then last, what is something on your bucket list? Oh, I, okay. So, um, I, I know this is weird, but <clears throat> this is really small. So it's, it's a, new, uh, hopefully soon bucket list 
is my kids have never, I have four kids. My kids have never been skiing. I really want to take them. It's just not cheap with four, people, six people. Is That's a lot of money. And so I do want to do that. I want to take, that's a bucket list. I want, I want them to experience it. If they hate it, I don't, you know, that's fine. But did, did you grow up skiing? I didn't either. In college, though, this is where I fell in love with it. In college, we had like a January term or, a, you know, uh, where we didn't have classes or you could take classes. Uh, and I worked twice. I, I went to Breckenridge, Colorado with 40 other of my classmates and we rented condos all over the place in, in that area. And then we worked ski lifts, tickets, any jobs we could find over the holidays and they needed it because it was crowded. Wow. And we would work for three days and ski for four. I mean, it was how so much fun for a whole month. That? It was that awesome. It was a break even. It wasn't, we didn't make any money because we spent it all, you know, doing stuff, but <laughs> it was so much fun. That's so awesome. Fun. Well, yep. I hope you guys get to do that. That would be really fun. I know. There you yeah, go. that's awesome. All right. So <clears throat> I want to dive into your experience. I, the hard part about our show today is going to be that there's lots for us to talk about. One thing I want to tell everybody is I didn't, I missed this event in your life. I'm really sorry, but you just got your PhD in the last, last nine April, months. So, April, yeah. Yeah. April, awesome. Yeah. Um, dissertation on exploring race talk at a Christian college. I read it. It was great. You did? I did. You I fell asleep to it is what you mean. It was super. Yeah. Um, I found it on the their website uh, and read it all. Mm. Yeah, it's a good one to sleep to. Really. No, good. Michael, listen, I don't, is this is not going to be the focus of our conversation today, I but I do want to tell everybody I actually think it's a really helpful dissertation. And you don't say that about everyone's dissertation. Yeah. That you read. Sometimes you read it and you're like, um, I don't, that, I'm glad you did that. But this is a really good one. So yeah. you guys go, go look at it and read. I think there's a lot of super helpful applications. Um, depending on what's happening on your campus. So I'm going to give a shout out to your dissertation. How often does that happen? Uh, not. <laughs> okay. So my first question is, can you tell us a little bit about how you have found yourself in higher education? Like what's the path that brings you to where you are now? Yeah. So I, I, my, I, I enjoyed my college experience a ton, uh, found a mentor in a couple actually in college. My first one, uh, this guy named Todd Ream. He's at uh, Indiana Wesleyan. Um, great guy. He came through and was the dean of students where I went to college at Oklahoma Baptist University for a couple of years, just on his way. Uh, and um, well, he might be at Taylor now, actually. I, I think that's actually, he has moved over to Taylor. Nonetheless, just a man who invited me into his home, um, invested in me, in probably more way or ways that he didn't really know that he had. And then, um, and so that, and then there was another mentor her names, Monica Mullen. She works in at Dallas college, uh, phenomenal, uh, just friend, longtime friend anyway. Uh, and we, we talked about the possibility of, of higher ed, uh, while I was in college and she called me one July and said, Hey, we have an opening. I want you to apply for an RD position. And so, I, I moved in the same day as RAs moved in, had no idea really what I was doing, but I'm a seven. So we had a blast. Yeah. And, uh, 
And I actually, I fell in love with it. I, um, I, that, and then I went to my first ACSD and I, I, I found, uh, and then I started my master's program, people that were rowing in the same direction. Yeah. And I, I fell in love with it. Like th th this is a, this is actual work. It's not, you know, people just planning stuff and there's some theory and um, growth and there's purpose behind what, what happens. It's not just accidental. So anyway, that, that I started as an RD and then just kind of moved up as, as jobs open. So. so I'm really curious about your experience as a student. What, what kind of a student were you in college? Uh, average, maybe above average. I played in, I enjoyed college and, uh, I, I enjoyed class. I mean, I, I worked hard to get, you know, through a 3.2 or something, you know, be average. Um, but I enjoyed lots of friends and had some incredible relationships. Like I, I, I went all in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I wonder, I, you know, you've heard me talk before about, I had a really hard time in college in my undergraduate and so that's always informing how I'm thinking about students and how I want us to talk to them and what I'm imagining is going on in their brain and that sort of thing. Is there any any of your college experience that that influences impacts the way that you engage with students now? Uh, I don't. I mean, that's a great question. I think that it is. Um, I think that there was always a sinking feeling that. I was on the in and that there were some people on the out. And so I think that that <clears throat> maybe influences some of the stuff that I do or the way that I approach or the questions that I ask. Uh, it's what influenced my dissertation topic. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I I'd started before that. I remember a, a conversation with a, a guy in high school when we were freshmen and we bet 20 bucks that he wouldn't graduate high school. Uh, and it was probably a more in-depth conversation or sorry, it was a, a more surface conversation with lots of, lots of underlying things that we, none of us, neither of us really knew was, was there. Um, and so uh, I still remember that conversation yeah. um, very well. And it's influenced me a ton. Um, he graduated I gave him 20 months. Nice. Well, one of the things you say in your dissertation is how important it is to make the invisible visible, right? Which is kind of what you're saying is like, we're in this conversation and we don't even understand all of the things that we're saying to each other and being able to, to step back and understand um, what those things actually are and be able to talk about them. But also, Michael, I was thinking about how important the balance is of people who feel like they're on the outs speaking their perspective and then also people who feel like they're on the in listening and making space for that right and you do have to have the balance of both of those because one without the other is not as powerful uh, i agree I, it is it's incredibly it's a it's an it's a tough dance there's lots of power involved um I, th I think that many people come with good intentions and just don't know what's at play or what's at stake even. And um, I think that both the ins and the outs could benefit from listening and, and hearing. And uh, it, the hard part is it takes new forms and shapes. You know, you're talking about the, that, that 
basically the return on investment article. Um, and that's like one, the humanities kind of idea. Yeah. And higher ed to me is just, it's a pendulum. It just goes back and forth. It's not, the history of higher ed is not very linear. It, it, it swings back and forth, similar to our generations, right? Our generations yeah. just pendulum. And uh, we here, we talk a ton about meaningful uh, life. There's a great professor at Baylor, Perry Glanzer, that talks a ton about the good life and uh, how that, how we, we inform students about their career, but that this work is the return on investment in this, in this experience is, is not just a degree. It's not just a job. We want more for you, that kind of thing. So the, the, the pendulum uh, swings, but um, yeah, it, it's, um, it, it, it's, not, I don't, I would say not everybody gets to experience that all the time, right? There's it, it, the, the challenges that students face sometimes are hard to overcome and they're not getting to get to the bottom of that kind of idea. So anyway. One of the things that, as we were preparing for this, talking about kind of the overall experience of students in higher education these days, and you said something about, um, I don't think students are coming in with more challenges. I just think they're coming in with different challenges, right? It's just a different set of things because exactly to your point, like whatever's happening in the world, that's going to influence what's going on with our students. And I'm curious, as I think about that, that good work that we're doing of mentoring students, student development, that professional aspect of that. Um, My first question is about how you are Um, experiencing this population of students when you challenge them, right? Because you've done student conduct for a long time as dean of students. You are in a position oftentimes to challenge them about, hey, we've got to do better. This has to be a different thing. What is your experience of students' response to that uh, interaction with you being challenged? Yeah, you know, that's funny. I I hear that too. Uh, Hear it from folks here and others that are hiring new people and and trying to discuss like, is this generation less or more resilient? I don't know. In my experience, I've seen pockets. I mean, I've almost been doing this for 20 years and 20 years ago, I've seen the same lack of resilience and, uh, and presence of resilience and grit that I saw 20 years ago. I think it just, or now that I see now, I, I don't know. I think there's pockets of people who are incredibly gritty and have done some really, really amazing things. And then pockets that are not, not very gritty. Yeah. Uh, so it's just anecdotally, it's hard for me to say that I think it's that different. Um, I think that the, the variables are, um, yeah, it, the when you're talking about the happiness stuff uh and and this makes me think about the return on investment stuff uh, i have a good buddy and we were talking about somebody who was talking he a student was talking about his roller skating class and he said this is how why it's hard to take college seriously why is there a roller skating class and you whatever i'm not going to get into the whether <laughs> it's right. Right, why there's a happiness study or uh, go and uh, forest bathe, right? Like I don't, I don't, I'm not, I'm not making judgment, 
but it is hard for people sometimes to feel like that college students are are gritty. Um, but I, man, I think there are some really, really resilient ones. Yeah. Um, and then some that need to be pushed. I mean, it is Nevitt Sanford challenges support. When I heard that theory, when I was 24, I thought, yeah, this makes really a whole lot of sense. Like moving people towards growth is measuring those two things, yeah. how much challenge they can take and need, and then, and then how much support they need also. So, you know, it's so interesting because it's such an art, right? It is really, I'm thinking about showing up in hard spaces with students and it is an art of um, knowing how to challenge them in ways that they can absorb and not break, it, but also making sure that you are giving them that challenge and saying, well, can we just talk about what what were you thinking or why was that helpful or how did that make sense to you? Um, and I have found that if you approach students with, I always talk about unconditional positive regard, but also I talk about like being genuine. If, if when I worked with students, if I approach them with genuine self, um, they were mostly, especially after we got over kind of the friction of like, I don't like you telling me what I'm doing is wrong, or I don't like being confronted or whatever. They were mostly grateful. Yeah. You know, they, they mostly yeah. were like, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, the kind of old story. If, if your coach isn't yelling at you, then something's wrong. So if you think enough to have pushed, pushed me some, then I'm worth the investment, right? Like yeah. that. Yeah. I agree. You know, it's funny. I was talking to some faculty members the other day and they were saying, um, we were talking about re referrals, sending in referrals and they're like, well, I just don't know. I mean, it seems to me like a student would be really mad if you called them to come into your office after you've gotten a referral and we're trying to talk to them about like, how do they respond? And what is that? And I was like, my experience is they're always grateful. Yeah. They're a little bit embarrassed in the beginning, mm -hmm. but they're always grateful because somebody saw them and said something and and get, got them connected to somebody who could do something. Is that your experience too? Oh, uh, unbelievable. Yes. Uh, yeah. And I, I've done this long enough to where I know that people don't want to hear from me, especially Dean of students. No one ever wants. I walk down that <laughs> hallway and the coaches are like, what happened? Like what? what? And sometimes something has and sometimes something hasn't. But removing people's shame is like disarming people. That's a that's that's the first thing that happens. Yeah. And then as you move past it and just say, it's okay, let we want to help you, they're really grateful to be rescued. It's a weight that they were carrying, whatever yeah. it was, even the shame of maybe being absent, not going to class, feeling stuck, right? Like those kind of things. And I I wonder about I'm thinking especially about faculty training because I think faculty's role is developing so much these days. It just is a different thing than it was even 20 years ago. And I wonder about some of the training opportunities to say the stepping up to the student and saying, hey, you're not doing a great job is hard. Of course, it feels uncomfortable, but you should not be worried that their response is going to be angry at you or frustrated or whatever, if you approach them the right way, actually, they're going to be really happy about it. Because listen, if I didn't have the experience of sitting in hard spots with students, I can imagine that I'd be like, I don't want to do that because it's going to be terrible and they're going to hate it and it's going to be right. But instead, when you have that place of conflict, if it's good conflict and it's it's appropriate and it's moving them, actually, you come out of that. Those students love you. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 You know, you know, what's funny is I do think there has been a shift. So maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago, counseling was, it's very stigmatized and colleges work to destigmatize it. Right. But almost to its, like we, we joked maybe five years ago, we want to re-stigmatize counseling because (laughs) we were, we were flooded with, I have anxiety. No, you don't, you don't have anxiety. You have challenges. You need to talk to your grandmother and let her encourage you. Right. Uh, so, so we see the shift that it's, it's, it's okay to, but, but what, so what I am seeing now actually is, um, I'm not hearing I have anxiety as much anymore. Some of the, uh, diagnosable things. I'm not hearing students say that as much as they were maybe even five years ago, four years ago. Um, and I'm wondering if they want some more of this challenge. Like I, I'm, I'm ready to be challenged. Um, it, it's hard. It doesn't mean it's not difficult. Um, but I, I, yeah, I don't know. It, it yeah. you know, it's all done in relationships, right? If people that's trust right. that you, you have their interests at heart and that you're not just getting onto them, it's, that's a, that's right. I think that's adjacent to a conversation that I'm hearing a lot of, uh, on a lot of campuses now, which is the fear of approaching a student about something that's going on. I feel like we have had this pendulum swing where that send them to counseling, send them to counseling, send them to counseling. Right. And I think what you said is exactly right. Sometimes it is just, yeah, that's, that feels yucky. I'm sorry that you're having such a hard day. Maybe you'll feel better tomorrow. Or what are the tools to unpack that with a student that we don't, we're not making it pathology, right? We're not saying, I think that you better go to counseling because obviously something's really wrong, but just saying, like I would say with my daughter, yeah, that feels really bad when that happens to you. I'm, I'm really sorry. That's man, that'll ruin your day. Right. And walking the line because obviously there are students that have real anxiety right. and real depression and, yeah. and that sort of thing. And that's about educating people to, to be able to triage. This is just, you're having a hard day versus mm-hmm. this is something that we really need to, to get a professional. Yeah, one of our, one of our uh, psych faculty here put a phenomenal fold to get folder together for faculty with some of those entry level questions. When a student comes with this, here's some, questions, not diagnosing anything, but just knowing how to handle the kind of varied levels of where you are. Uh, just really, really cool stuff. Yeah, that's super helpful. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. I want to talk about, I want to make sure that we have time for this piece. I'm thinking about, you know, student development to me is such a powerful term because I think it is the best of the work that we get to do. It's why we love students this age because they are just, I, I was saying to Matt the other day, the difference between an 18-year-old and a 21-year-old is remarkable in terms of all of the developmental milestones, right? Um, and so when I'm thinking about student development, I'm thinking about things like how do you um, how do you encounter challenges? How do you build community? How do you teach conflict resolution? Those sorts of things. Is there something that you think, like, if you're thinking about student development, what is one of your favorite parts of that that idea that we get 18 year olds and we get to walk alongside them till they're 21? Oh yeah, I mean i i want I want the whole I want the whole student. I mean i I for sure there are two things I know. I, I serve at the pleasure of the president, and then my primary job is to support what faculty are doing. 
But man, when I talk to faculty, they want my help in doing some of this outside of the classroom work. Like what yeah. about not not just laundry, but like, you know, what it what does it look like to to deal with a neighbor who's really loud? I mean, and and consider it. What what do we think? And they want us to read the art of neighboring with our students and talk about like the life outside of this. So they want our students to to be invested in where they leave better than when they they came. Um, so man, I love those conversations. I I want students, and I, I I this is fresh because I was having a conversation with a recent grad. She finished in December and was um, she finished the semester early, and some of her friends are still in school, and it's it's hard. It's hard for her to watch the what she's been used to. And I told her, I think one of the hardest times after a really good college experience is that first year out. And it's because you had access to all some really, really great people who would stay up late and have great conversations, faculty every day that were invested in having hard conversations, asking you and, and making you think and ask critical questions. Um, a, a good experience, someone who's invested a lot into their their university experience when they leave they want to do that same thing and they miss it and so the, but then they have the tools to go be those people how to be a good son or daughter husband or wife father neighbor uh i have an I'm, i i housing has been majority of my career at least or housing adjacent residence life and i talk all my career about what it means to be a good neighbor and in a variety of like using all kinds of texts vert whatever it is just all these things and my neighbor larry he won't know this because he doesn't uh, think <laughs> um, changes his number like every week is the epitome of an incredible like the, the man walks my dog every day because he just needs to get out and doesn't want to take care of his own dog but he wants to walk my massive St. Bernard. And by the way, he calls me almost every day to say, Hey, we, we had a good walk. Uh, and sometimes my wife and I are like, Oh, Larry, can you, can you just take him and move on? But no, because he's an incredible neighbor. The man watches out for our stuff. We, you know, it just that kind of stuff. And I, not just cause I'm trying to be a good person, but I feel like people, I've said, hey, no, you need to not just look out for yourself. And I, I think that my experience in college impacted my view of of what that is. And I, I want to go and check, hey, you're how are you? You're 81. It's really cold. Doesn't happen very often in Texas. And so when it's really cold, it, you got to check on your neighbors. Um, and yeah, I, I want that experience for students that come through college of course i want them to learn some incredible skills and know how to read and write and uh, and and be good managers and bosses but but i think there's some other stuff out there that faculty really do want us to be involved in so yeah i really love the idea i i've for a long time thought about the experience of being at college very much like a lab experience where it's like you are feeding your mind by going to classes but then we have these little collisions of life that we can stop. We actually have time to 
say, hold on, hold on, stop. Like what happened there? Can we have a conversation about that? How would you do that differently? Right. So there's this meta conversation about your being in the world and our ability to stop and examine and also give feedback. Like that's a great way to be in the world. Hey, that people don't like you when you are that way in the world, right? And what are some other strategies for how we can do that? And so the amount of time I think college students spend thinking about and getting responses and reviews to their behavior. And like you said, people investing in you saying, what are other ways that you can do this? How are you going to learn and grow? I mean, I would like to do that. Can we do that every 10 years? Just go have Maybe. a experience. No. No doubt. I, I mean, yeah. And and I, shoot, I come across some incredibly brilliant students that I say, I know that I'm probably going to work for you someday because, but, but I still want to invest in them and, yeah. uh, and, and want them to see maybe some of the blind spots that, that might be there, or this could hold you back or man, this is really incredible uh, characteristic about you. This is something that you do really well. Yeah. I love those opportunities. Yeah. Super fun. Um, okay, so I would like to talk just very briefly. You have done work on the behavioral intervention team and student conduct. You and I did a whole webinar on student conduct and talking about like the, how that's all about redemption and this kind of journey model. And so, but I'm just thinking about those two things together. If you were walking down the hall and someone's like, hey, I'm about to have to start our behavioral intervention team or I'm getting into student conduct, do you have any advice that you would give them, just like nuggets of helpfulness? Yeah. I'd say two things. Uh, first of all, it's, it's create a space or create an environment where information sharing happens. I mean, not the plug to Pharos, but yeah, this is a way to gather that information really well, but make it a habit to find ways where people uh, appropriately tell tell you things or other things so that dots can be connected. Um, I think that that is a very powerful tool to help students be successful. And behavioral intervention is not always, right, just threats to the university itself. Like it, it could be a range, a myriad of things. And I think there's some great people at universities that have really good skills at helping students navigate those um, those times and and help them grow. And then I would say the second is uh, listen a lot. Um, I I mean I, I I'm a seven and I can get caught up in the vortex of of problem solving and and all of the emergency of things. And I uh, I would encourage people to slow down and not let people suck you into. I mean if you're doing conduct especially a uh, lot of people have opinions about how things should happen. And um, I just say, thank you uh, and do my job <laughs> and try to try to listen, you know, try to listen well yeah, um, and, and create trust. Cause I know some of that comes from, I, I want to trust that the process is, is happening, but anyway, yeah, I, I think don't, don't get sucked into that vortex too quickly a, a good mentor here says, you, you need to have a tell me about it. And just tell me about it and, and yeah. let that happen before you start moving pieces. Um, it's okay to slow down. So it's such an honor. I, I think one really interesting thing <clears throat> about both behavioral intervention and student conduct 
is that you have students who are in a very vulnerable position, which means that you have to be very careful, but also it means that they are the most open to intervention, right? Like, like that is a space where if you do it right, you have an amazing opportunity to make an impact on what happens moving forward. And so we talk about <clears throat> sort of mini mentoring, you know, like you run into a student and you say, how's it going? And they tell you a thing and then, and that's powerful. But when their brain is in a state of anxiety, they're worried, they're, they're wondering what's going to happen. You have an, an even greater entrance into the kernel of themselves because they're in that, that sort of heightened state. Um, so it's just such an amazing opportunity to get connected to students, I think. I, I, I mean, I, I feel like it is. I, I had, a, I mean, the average conduct officer lasts three years because it's can be tough working and just seeing stuff like that all the time. But I still, again, I get it. I'm wired as the eternal optimist. My glass is full, not half full, right? I, I understand that that's <laughs> part of my personality. There's some shadows for sure. We all know those. Uh, shadows to the party of the seven, but um, I, yeah, I want to take students as far as they want to go. Uh, and I try to let them lead that. Uh, but I think back to the connect the dots, when I bring a student in and say, Hey, I, I, I saw that you've been missing class and man, you're not doing so well in that management class. Tell me what's, what's going on in addition to everything else. I mean, I feel like I have the freedom to have that conversation yeah. and uh, they see that there's some holistic well-being here, not just you uh, had alcohol on campus and you weren't supposed to and that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, that, asking good. more questions. Yeah. And I found that most students, I think, are being pretty vulnerable. Um, not all. Right. Not all want to want to go there. And that's why we have the kind of baseline parameters. Yeah. Uh, of conduct. But if they want to go, like, I, I want to provide whatever they have, um, whatever, whatever, the, whatever they want to go, go with. So, yeah. yeah, for sure. Um, I was just, sorry, I got distracted. I took a whole trip as you were saying that just about how important it is to have this constellation relationship constellation around a student, because if everybody that's surrounding the student is showing up in the same sort of posture that you just described, right? And so the student comes to see you and they're, and the student's like, I don't want to go to that place with you. I don't want to. But then the next person they go to has that same sort of posture. And maybe that's not the right person, right? That if we were all kind of coming with students and saying, I, I am willing to be whoever you need me to be in this relationship. And if it's not me, my belief is there's someone on this campus who can be that person. And I think so often students wander to the right person, right? They just find the person who speaks their language, has the right perspective, is going to create space in the right way. And we do a um, exercise where we ask people to talk, say the name of somebody who really impacted them, who inspired them in their higher education journey. And so often, Michael, it's like what you said, like, I don't know that they did an intervention with me. They were just the right person for me there. Mm -hmm. They, Holly actually has a great um, story about somebody said her name in her first like couple of weeks on campus. And she was like, that was enough for me to feel like I belong here. 
And so I just love the idea that if we can create this space and posture, students will find their way to you and they adopt you in some cases, right? They're just like, you're my person. Yeah. And every time I have a thing, I'm going to come in, we're going to talk about it because we, we have a good way of communicating. I trust the space that you create. So yeah, it, it, I think, I think, and, and that to me, I mean, I, uh, someone who carries the weight of wanting students to, to grow, it, it releases some of the responsibility knowing that I can provide and others can too. I mean, of course, I want to be great stewards of students we have. We've talked about this higher ed bill accountability. There's actually eight uh, in Texas. There's a um, a uh, community college bill that came out. It's it's HB eight. I don't know House Bill eight, and it's incentives like that. They they moved mm -hmm. away from just uh, enrollment to graduation, persistence, movement to four year universities, all that. Anyway. All that to say, I feel the weight of wanting us to be successful and wanting to be good stewards of the students that we have. Uh, but I don't have to be the that one to every single student because there's brilliant people out here that can also carry some of that load and want to do that. And I found that I am rowing in the same direction as most of the people at this university and, yeah. and across the country. I mean, that that's for sure. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, Michael, I just want to speak to you and say, there is a long list of students over the last 20 years who, when they tell the story of their success in college, somebody who saw them, somebody who created space for them, who approached them with unconditional positive regard, who gave them a redemptive journey, right. To be able to, to recover when they had done stupid things <laughs> It's such a privilege that you your name will come up and you will be a person that they'll be like, Michael Burns, I remember he was my dean and this is what he did for me and how he treated me. Like I said, it's just such a privilege for us to get to do that good work. And it's such an amazing position for you to be in after 20 years to say, I know there are times around dinner tables where someone's like, yep, Michael Burns, he was the one who whatever. So good job. You're doing well, awesome. I appreciate that. I appreciate yeah. that. Thank you so much for being on today. I knew our problem was going to be we're going to have too much to talk about. So I'll have to have you so, on again. Round two. Come <laughs> you on. Sound good. Let's Thanks go. so much. <laughs> we'll see you later. Okay. Bye.